tonight, we're going to be looking at the subject of cessationism versus continuism. Um, and the reason that we're looking at that tonight is because we're talking about the Holy Spirit and we're talking about uh, the activity of the Holy Spirit and we will be talking soon about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and this kind of comes into the topic and this kind of comes into this whole thing. Has the work of the Holy Spirit in the sense of the gifts of the Spirit, have they ceased or do they continue? And so we want to look at that tonight. Also given that, you know, our church has got to have, have several, uh, well, we've, we've, we've kind of had a growth in the last year and a half. And so we just kind of, I want to give an understanding of, of what we believe here. And so we'll, we'll, we're going to get into that. Let me give you some definitions tonight so that you can know what we're talking about when we're talking about it a little bit. Cessationism is the view that the miracle gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, such as, for example, tongues or healing, and so forth, have ended, have ceased. Um, they believe that the end of the, uh, they, they believe that the apostolic age ended and that the cessation of miracles associated with that time ends as well. Many would still say that God can perform miracles today, but that the Holy Spirit no longer gifts or uses individuals to perform miraculous signs. There is a wide spectrum of beliefs in this, in this whole thing, um, from the miracle that some believe that miracles completely have stopped. Um, some believe that miracles have stopped in the North American church, kind of, if you want to say, the mainstream church, but appear in other areas where the church isn't as established or as strong. Um, some believe that there were only miraculous gifts that were in the first century church, and it was just strictly the apostles and prophets that at that time that operated in the gifts. Most, if you meet or talk to somebody who believes in these things, most of them, if they're being absolutely honest, will basically say that there's no scripture or teaching in the Bible that explicitly says that the gifts have ceased. And so a lot of it that they are referencing is implied rather than actual verses or scriptures uh, that these, these things have ceased. Continuism is obviously the opposite. Uh, and by the way, we are a church that believes this. Um, we believe that the signs, and basically continuism, is, is a belief that the gifts of the Spirit have continued, have not ceased, and that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, still works through such things as prophecy, words of knowledge, tongues, and healings. Uh, that's why sometimes when you look at all of this, continuism is also referred to as being, in a sense, uh, charismatic or Pentecostal. And, and so, you know, there's there's these different ideas. Now, let me just let me start with this whole little kind of thought. Because sometimes people ask this, are those who hold to cessationist views not Christian? Of course not. Are those who hold to continuist views not Christian? Of course not. And even though we're going to look at things tonight, and even though I believe that it is an important subject, um, I want us to understand tonight that we may disagree within this, um, in the sense that we may disagree as a church with other people in this, but we're not enemies, amen? We're not enemies. 
and we are to love each other, uh, love each other well. It's interesting in this time, uh, in this time of COVID that we've had in the last year and a half, it's interesting how in some ways this is drawing churches that are in one sense differing in their theology, they're draw, it, God's like drawing them together. And that there are churches and pastors who, if you were to sit down and talk to one and you talk to the other, you would see that they have different points of views on certain things, this being one of them, but yet they are united uh, in their walk with the Lord and united in standing for the Word of God and united in in seeing God move and 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 especially seeing God uh, establish His church and His kingdom, you know, right across our nation. One couple of things that are in common. A couple of things that are in common is we do believe both sides believe that everything must be tested against Scripture, which is absolute must. Right? Scripture is the final authority. Amen? Uh, we, we both agree that salvation is by, by grace through faith in, the, in, in Christ Jesus, that Jesus died, was buried, and he rose again, and that Jesus is the only way of salvation. And we also agree that preaching the gospel and making disciples of Christ should be of utmost importance. And, and so... While we have sometimes differences in the church related to some of these things, we also have many of these things that are common. But given that we are a church that believes in the work of the Holy Spirit, in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and, and, and the miracles and, and everything that come with that, we, we speak in tongues, um, we practice that here in the church, I know that this can sometimes be a, a topic that comes up in people's minds, and so that's why I want to address it tonight. Just looking at scriptural understanding from both sides, and I'll start with cessationism first, and then I'll compare that with continuism uh, after, but, but giving an understanding from both sides kind of where, where the thinking is at, and then, and then hopefully have us understand tonight uh, that and, and also why, in a sense, we believe what we believe. And, and in a lot of ways, obviously, what we believe in the church relates to what I believe. I, I, I get that. Just being the leader of the church, that kind of comes in. Like, I'm going to preach what I believe, right? <laughs> so uh, we, we, we get that. All right, so a foundational verse to cessationism. Let me give you a foundational verse. And like I say, it's not up on the screen, so you can write these down or I'll put, send out the notes next week. But a foundational verse to why some believe that the gifts and, and so forth have ended comes out of 1 Corinthians 13, 8, and 10, uh, 8 to 10. And we will look at it as we go through it. But uh, let me just read it. The verse says, verse 8, love never fails, but if there are prophecies, they shall fail. If there are tongues, they shall cease. And if there is knowledge, it shall vanish. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But, then, but when that which is perfect comes, then that which is imperfect shall pass away. Okay? We'll get to, we'll get to this verse a little bit more in a moment, but that is one of those foundational verses that is used by those who believe because it says there prophecies will fail, tongues will fail or cease. They say that there's going to come an end to these things, and frankly, there is. Uh, there is going to come an end to it. They're right on that. It's just we disagree on when they come to an end, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, uh, uh, but we'll, let's look at it. One of the things is that they believe that the teaching of the church or the foundation of the church was built on the apostles and prophets, and I would agree with that. Ephesians 2, 19-22 says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, 
but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built up upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the entire building, tightly formed or framed together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling place of God through the Spirit. Okay, and I, I totally believe we have foundational understanding, foundational doctrines. We have foundational, and, and most importantly, the Scripture, because God chose men that he inspired with his Holy Spirit to give us his word. And so I would agree with that principle that we have been built upon, or the, the church has been built upon the foundation of, of several of these apostles and prophets, and of course Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Uh, uh, where I don't agree, and I, I won't get into it right yet, later on tonight I'll get into it, is that they say that we don't have or we don't need apostles like Paul and Peter or John anymore. They say that the apostles gave us the teaching through which the church continues to live in this day, and that is the only teaching we need until Jesus returns. And because we have all of that, the apostle and the prophet is no longer here, that there are no apostles, that there are no prophets. And one of the verses that they used to say this was, they basically say that Paul was the last apostle. And they say in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 7 and 8, they said, then he, is, he was seen by James, speaking of Jesus. He, he, you know, Paul's talking about, he's making a, basically a, a case for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he, he's outlining these things, and, but he, he makes this statement. Then Jesus was seen by James, and then by all the apostles. Last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born at the wrong time. And so they believe that that statement in verse 8, where he says, last of all, he was seen by me also, means that Paul was the last apostle. Um. They believe that the apostles are basically restricted to those who have seen Jesus Christ risen and who has been commissioned by Christ. Uh, they believe that the apostles were appointed uh, for the early days of the church and for the early days of the doctrine to be established, and then that, that there are no needs today for the apostle. Um, and they basically make... The claim that if anybody today should say that I'm an apostle, that uh, it's it's an open door to false teaching and an abuse of authority, um, and so what they say that if the if the apostleship has ended, if the office of an apostle has ended, then the gifts that went along with that have also ended, as. And they, 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 they make these declarations and statements. And uh, we'll kind of look at the other side of that a little bit more tonight. But I just want you to understand, what they're basically saying is the apostles and prophets that were there at the establishment of the church put everything in place, put the Word of God in place, and therefore those things are no longer needed in the church. Okay. And when Paul passed, or Paul being the last one, when he passed, um, it was all done. Okay? And please understand, please understand tonight when I'm making these things, in every, in every belief or in every side of this, there are people that believe certain things, and there are some people who believe differently, right? When I say there are people who are cessationists, who have some different points of view even in that, okay? I'm trying to give you an overall picture, not all the little details, because there are some details in here that some people would say, I disagree with you, Pastor. That's not what I believe. I, I get that. They're, these are overall 
uh, principles that some, many, if not most, would, would, would abide by. But I recognize that some would say that's not what I believe, which is fine. But yeah, they, they say, they basically say that the, the apostles and prophets were that for that time, and that since that time is ended, we don't need it today. Okay? Now, if we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which we looked at already, which I read about, where it talks about, uh, you know, tongues will cease and prophecies will cease. The verse that they focus in on is basically verse 10 when it says there, but when that which is perfect comes, then that which is imperfect shall pass away. This is where those in the side of cessationism differ a little bit. Some talk about, well, or, or think that when it's talking about when the perfect comes, that it's referring to the formation of the canon and scripture. In other words, they said that when the Bible was complete and put together and finished, the perfect had now come and was accomplished. That's a small portion of them, but that's what they would say. Most on all fronts, even us, but most in the camp of cessationism conclude that this is actually referring to the return of Jesus. That when Jesus comes, then that which is imperfect shall pass away. Um, they, they, that's what most would say on both sides, actually. Uh, and And looking at the context of the Scripture there uh, and reading the verses before and after and reading through that passage of Scripture, um, that's where I would generally conclude that this is talking about when Jesus comes, then that which is imperfect shall pass away because perfect is here. Truth is here. Christ is here. Some, some think that Paul was writing this with the expectation, and let's remember the disciples and the apostles of that day expected or had an expectation that they might live to see the end of time. They, they were kind of, in a sense, living and believing that they might see Jesus come back and return. And so some think that maybe Paul was writing that or writing this scripture with this in mind and that, you know, obviously that did not take place. He died, and since he didn't see the return of Christ, um, that he was speaking figuratively or speaking, you know, in, in kind of in, in a future sense, but that, you know, that this level of prophecy spoken about was ceased, and so all the gifts ceased as well. Um, if you talk to somebody who believes these things and they're really honest with you, um, they cannot say that this means that there's not a possibility that the continuation of the gifts take place. Um, from this scripture, it says some, at some point, things are going to end. some point, prophecy is going to end. At some point, tongues is going to end. All of these things will end at some point, but this verse does not necessarily give a specific Outside of when the perfect comes, this verse does not give a specific understanding or say, well, when it's the last apostle or anything like that, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't say that. There, there are six proofs that people point to that they've said that it proves that this is true. And I know that as I say some of these things, some of you are going to completely disagree with me because you've experienced some of these items. Um, one is what we looked at, that the apostles through whom the tongues came were unique in the history of the church, that once their ministry was accomplished, the need for uh, signs was no longer there. Um, they say that the gifts that were given to the apostles were basically needed only to confirm or prove the initial establishing of the gospel in the church. In other words, God gave miracles to the apostles and the prophets as they were establishing the doctrine of the church to prove himself, okay? There's, I, I, I just thought about this a little bit. 
there's a little bit of a danger there. And that is, if we look at only signs and wonders as proof, it can lead to deception. Okay, just, I mean, I know there's sides to that, but just a thought that kind of came to my mind regarding that. Um, it's, it's more than just gifts, miraculous gifts. Um, they look at biblical records. For example, Moses was enabled to perform miracles as he stood before Pharaoh, proving that he was from God. Elijah performed miracles before Ahab, if you were to look in 1 Kings. The apostles were given miracles to authenticate their ministry before Israel. And I believe that, yes, that is true. Uh, they also look at and say Jesus' ministry was also marked by miracles, which, you know, John the Apostle calls uh, signs. And, and so John points to the fact that the miracles were proofs of the authenticity of Jesus' message. And since all of these things have been accomplished, since we have the Word of God in place, since all of that has been established, we don't need miracles today. Um, I disagree with that. I disagree with that, but we'll get to that, okay? I get to that, all right? <laughs> um, we'll get to that. You know, number two is the miracle or sign gifts are only mentioned in the earliest epistles, such as 1 Corinthians. They, they say the later books that Paul wrote, such as Ephesians uh, and Romans, contain detailed passages uh, on maybe the gifts of the Spirit, but miracle gifts are never really mentioned, which is actually not true. Uh, but we'll, we'll get to that as well. We'll get to that, all right? I know I'm preaching to the choir in a sense, all right? But, but I think it's important for us to understand these things because in the Christian church, there are so many different beliefs and understandings. And that's why I'm taking the time to go through this tonight. Because we have, we're going to have people, understand, our church is growing, and we're going to have people coming in, and people are going to come in from maybe possibly Christian backgrounds, understandings of Christian. I mean, if you look at my mom, my mom comes out of this, right? This is, this is the background that my mom comes out of. I mean, if you tapped your foot in church, Sister Opal, you were in trouble, right? <laughs> like, you, you, you couldn't tap your foot. Like, the men and the women sat on one side, and boy, if you got a little bit too excited there, Sister Enid, and you started to clap, or you yelled out a little hallelujah, you might be getting an elder come up behind you, grab you by the ear, and pull you out. And you know what? I will say this. They love the Lord. Okay? They love the Lord. I mean, we, we laugh at it a little bit, all right? Which is fine. Yeah. I mean, her family was, or her family, her parents were uh, uh, shunned and uh, excommunicated out of the church when they got spirit-filled. Okay? So... Um, you know, but I, I say that because we're going to have people coming in. And, it, and, and, and I don't want us to ever look down upon anybody, you know. And that's why even in some sense I'm not telling you of even preachers that are out there today that you can find on TV, you can find on the Internet who believe in these things. Because I don't want us to look at people and say, oh, evil person. I disagree with them. I think they're wrong. But you know what? I do believe they love God. Right? And, and, and so God will work it in their life. He'll do it. But, but this just gives us a foundation for us. All right, so number three, they believe that the gift of the tongues was just a sign to unbelieving Israel that God's salvation was now available to other nations. Um, and and they reference 1 Corinthians 14, 21, and 22, which we'll read in a moment when we get to the other side. Um, they also believe, or they say that tongues was an inferior gift to prophecy, that preaching the word of God edifies believers, whereas tongue does not, and believers are to seek prophesying over speaking in tongues. And then they have two kind of proofs that are really subjective. First of all, they say that history indicates that tongues did cease and that tongues are not mentioned at all by the post-apostolic fathers or those who came after the basically the initial 
New Testament church. And they also say today, basically, that if the gifts of tongues were available today, there would be no need for missionaries to attend language school. Uh, that missionaries could travel the, to any country and speak any language fluently, just as the apostles did in Acts chapter 2 when they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they also say that uh, while maybe sometimes people are healed, that uh, healing doesn't take place today through prayer by individuals, which we'll talk about in a moment. So that's kind of the, the side of cessationism, okay? They believe that God established the church. In, in a nutshell, God established the church through the prophets, through the apostles of that day, that God gave them the word of God, that God gave them the ability to perform signs and wonders and miracles to authenticate or prove that what they were saying and what they were writing was true, and that when all of that was established, that that is no longer needed, and therefore, God said no more. A foundational verse for the other side, for the Pentecostal side. I'll just give you a foundational verse. And you, 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 you could pick a lot of verses, but this is, I think, one for me. Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 21. It's right after what we saw in the upper room. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said to them, Remember, they were in the upper room. The Holy Spirit fell upon them. They began to speak in tongues and declare the works and the glories of the Lord in different languages. And people went out and thought these men were drunk. <laughs> okay? And, 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 and Peter gets up and addresses the people, and this was where we kind of start out. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said to them, Men of Judah, and all you who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and listen to my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is the third hour of the day. Too early. All right? Too early. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all your flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my men servants and maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and vapor, or blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and glorious day of the Lord comes. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I would suggest to you today, and I think most of you, if not all of you, would agree that we are in the last days. And I understand, I understand from what Peter's saying here, basically, from this point on, I would suggest that Peter is saying, we are in the last days. If they were in the last days at that point, and Peter was looking at this and saying, this is the fulfillment of this prophecy about the last days. How much closer are we today? Amen? So, you know, it's just an encouragement to us. An opening tonight. Let me look at the opening for this side. Let me, let me just say this. Let me just open with this regarding the continuous side or the Pentecostal side. Because I want to address this. One reason people, and I'll say one reason pastors even, look to cessationism is because of the abuses and the problems that sometimes Pentecostals have created. Okay? We have at times on the Pentecostal side caused self-inflicted wounds. There's been abuses. You know, I'm sure some of you have been in church where you've watched the pastor push somebody over. Ever been there? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I remember one time, I'm going to tell a story on my wife because she's not here. I remember one time she, was, she went up. I don't know where we were, but we were at some service, and the guy called up my wife to pray over her, and he had a line of people. And you could see he was pushing 
Well, when he got to my wife, I watched my wife, eh? <laughs> she was standing like this, and then all of a sudden she took a, she took a, she took a different stance, like, go ahead, try to push me over. <laughs> and I, because I, I could see it. I was standing at the back, and I watched her feet shift, and I knew exactly what she was doing. <laughs> <laughs> and then when she came back and we talked about it, she was like, yeah, I was like, there was, the only way I was going down was if it was the Spirit of God because he wasn't pushing me over. But we have these abuses, okay? We have even fake prophecies, fake healings, uh, lack of Scripture, lack of integrity in leaders, okay? So I get that, all right? There has been abuses on 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 if you want to say the Pentecostal side in some sense, all right? I also understand that there's sometimes things that we look at and we don't understand, or there are growing pains, if you want to say, in this area. Because if somebody's stepping out to wanting to, and I, I, I understand it because sometimes you, 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 get a, you get a word from the Lord in your heart, or you believe that it's a word from the Lord in your heart, and it's like, do I, do I say this or not? This sounds absolutely crazy. You know, this is, this, is, this is rather scary to say. Well, it could be God. Okay? And, and it could be you. Okay? Uh, and, and in some times, you make mistakes. I've made mistakes. I have made mistakes. You know, and so you have these things. Even, but Paul dealt with this. You know, the Corinthian church walked in the places of miracles and gifts and signs. But you know, it's interesting in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 1, Paul talks and talking to the church says, it's, it's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you. And even to say immorality that's not even named among the Gentiles. That a man has his father's wife so the problems that even emerged in the in the corinthian church were not due to spiritual gifts but really immature carnal people it wasn't that the gifts of the church caused the church to be childish but that the church itself was childish and ambitious and and prideful and 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 it needed paul's correcting and you know what that's what needs to be done in these areas today even in the church in the pentecostal side um, we need to we need to operate in a way there we, go. we need to operate in a way that you know when we make a mistake we say I made a mistake and we also need to walk in a way that all gives people opportunity to at times make mistakes without judging them too harshly okay um, and people giving opportunity for people to grow in this area and mature in this area um, and so forth. So that's just kind of an opening thought because I know some people say, well, as soon as, you know, and that's why even many Pentecostal pastors, if you want to say, are very worried about it breaking out in the church because they don't know how to deal with it or don't know how to handle it or they're afraid that it'll go off in some extreme. Well, we have to teach we have to become mature in it. All right, let's actually look at some of the extensive evidence of Scripture. Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, it's easy. No, but, but you know what? Sometimes what's easy, what happens is it's easier to shut everything down rather than discern whether this is God or not God, you know? And so pastors in a lot of ways, leaders in a lot of ways, rather control it because then they don't have to be responsible, in other words, to discern. Is this God? Is it not God? If it's God, okay, God, I let it go. If it's not God, okay, God, how do I deal with it? And so it's a lot easier just to wrap it all up in a nice little box and say, stop, you know? And... and and unfortunately, the problem is then the church misses out. 
The people pay the price. The world pays the price. Okay? All right, let's, let's look at the extensive, some extensive evidence from Scripture for the Pentecostal side. Beginning with Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, and progressing throughout the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit poured out on new believers who experience His, who experience his power and His ability. There is nothing when you look in Scripture to indicate that the working of the Holy Spirit in miracles, signs, and wonders were only restricted to the New Testament. And when I say New Testament, I'm talking about those who were present during the, the writing of the New Testament was restricted to them only. Um, in fact, the, when we look at the New Testament church, um, it would seem that we see what a normal Christian life is supposed to look like and that included uh, a lot of activity by the Holy Spirit, okay? We also see a lot of evidence that the miraculous gifts, which many on the other side would say are only for the apostles, were among many of the other Christians as well. Remember Stephen. Stephen, you know, the one who was stoned. Uh, he wasn't an apostle. And yet the Bible in Acts chapter 6 and verse 8 says, Now Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. You know, in a lot of ways, he was just a regular guy who loved the Lord and who God used. Okay? In Acts chapter 2, even right at the very beginning in, the, in the Acts chapter 2, there was 120 there in the upper room, and they were all filled and all spoke in tongues. Not just the apostles or, or those that would be consider, considered apostles at that time. Even if you look back at the ministry of Christ, Christ, yes, focused on his 12 disciples. But in Luke chapter 10, he commissioned 70 as workers, as harvesters, and gave them power. Okay? Acts chapter 9, when, when Paul had his, or previous to that, Paul had his, or, you know, his, his, his Damascus Road experience. And we know that he went and he was blind for a, a few days. Ananias, who was not an apostle, came in, prayed, and Paul was healed. Okay? We also have Philip's daughters, Acts chapter 21, 8 and 9. The next day we were, we were where, who were, oh, the next day we who were Paul's companions departed and arrived at Caesarea and entered the house of, the, of Philip the evangelist who was one of the seven and stayed with him. He had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Okay? They weren't apostles, but yet these, these, these young girls prophesied. Okay? So what we, what we see here is that the gifts that they often say were only for the apostles what was, was given to more than just the apostles okay? um, and, and so forth. If we relate to the verse that we saw in 1 Corinthians, we, we saw there that Paul declares that spiritual gifts will not pass away until the coming of the perfect. If the perfect is the end time, if the perfect that Paul was talking about is the return of Christ at the closing of God's purposes and at the time of the new heaven and new earth, and since that hasn't happened yet, should we not expect that God would continue His blessing and empowering the church until that time is complete? You know, it hasn't happened yet, so God's got to move, right? God's got to work. Even the whole Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13 says there, He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, and for the building up of the body until we all come into the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God into a complete man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
You know, here Paul speaks of the different offices in the church and the, you know, the gifts to the church of, you know, apostle, prophet, evangelist, a pastor and teacher as a, as, a, as a way to build up the church until we come into the unity of faith, until we basically as a church come into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The first thing that I look at this and say, there is no scripture that ever says that the, off, the office of apostle or prophet has ceased. It can only be assumed. If you're going to assume, it can only be assumed that they ceased because there's no scripture that says that they have closed. Okay? Secondly, and probably more importantly, is we know that the church is still a work in progress. This church is still moving into the fullness of Christ. And God has said these five offices are still are, are part of that moving towards the fullness of Christ. And so they are still needed and relevant for God to use and equip and build up his church. All right? Now, I completely get it. I know that there are men in the world, people in the world who walk around. I am Prophet Chad Fisher. I am Apostle. No, no. I am Apostle Doctor. Whatever, you know. You've probably seen it. Chad Fisher. His Excellency, yes. You know, in the Christian church I'm talking about. I get that. I, I, I completely get that. There are people, like I say, who abuse this and who are themselves self-declared, self-appointed prophets and apostles and so forth. You know? Well, th there are. There are. Okay, I, I agree. I agree. But just because there are people who abuse it doesn't mean we throw it out. Okay? Doesn't mean we throw it out and say, well, it doesn't exist because look at that person over there abusing it. You will notice that those who are actually called in this, who are, let's say, an apostle, who are, say, a prophet, very rarely, if ever, reference themselves in that way or with that title. Like, you know, you know, some people, and, and, and you, can, you can make the determination for yourself, some people call, you know, Hugo a prophet. There are pastors who, you'll never hear Hugo say, I'm Prophet Hugo. He, he'll, he'll say, you know, if you were to ask him, he'll say, you know, the gifting or one of the giftings that God uses me in is in the prophetic ministry and, and, and so forth. But he'll, he'll, never, he'll never sit down with him and hear him say, well, call me prophet or anything like that. Okay? Yes, it's humility. <laughs> That's right. Okay? So, but, but, but these, these, I believe... All of these offices are still in the church today, okay, and working in the church today. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And I believe, actually, I think that what, as we're going into the last days and the last times, we're going to see even a greater uh, understanding of what these actually mean. What people do not realize when they start calling themselves these things is the responsibility that comes with it. A lot of them want the prestige of it, but they don't want the responsibility of it. And a lot of them use the title of it just simply to impress man or to get promote themselves uh, and not realize the cost, first of all, and the responsibility that comes with carrying if you want to say that office. All right, let's look at those six kind of specific proofs that we, we talked about on the cessationism side. And I'll, I'll read them through so that we are reminded of them, and we'll look at the other side of it, on the Pentecostal side, I guess you could say, in a sense. First one was that the, the apostles through whom the tongues came were unique in the history, and once their ministry was accomplished, uh, there's no need for signs to, to continue. 
And so the signs and gifts and all of that stopped. Well, why were the gifts needed then? They say the gifts were needed then because the miraculous gifts were, were used to confirm or prove the initial establishing of the gospel and the church. First of all, here's an interesting thing. There's no scriptural or biblical text really that ever says signs or wonders or spiritual gifts of the apostles authenticated who the apostles were. Uh, if the signs and wonders were intended only for the apostles and to basically give credibility to the apostles, then why were non-apostles such as Stephen or such as the four virgins, daughters of Philip, why were they given the ability to, to perform them, right? If it was just something to confirm that this apostle was preaching the truth, then why were, if you want to say, normal Christians, everyday Christians, uh, given the ability uh, to perform them? The Bible does say, the Bible does give us uh, several reasons why miracles, signs, and wonders took place. And you can look these up later on when I send this out. But one is to glorify God. John 2.11, John 9.3, John 11.4, John 11.40, Matthew 15.29-31. To glorify God. Okay, another one re reason was to evangelize to prepare the way of the gospel. Um, Acts 9, 32 to 43, you can, you can see that. Another reason why these miraculous signs and wonders were given was pastoral, as an expression of compassion and love and care for the sheep. Matthew 14, 14, or Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 41. You know, it's interesting at times, uh, you know, somebody would come to Jesus and need healing. And the Bible says, and Jesus was moved with compassion. Okay? Jesus was moved with compassion. Okay? He was the ultimate example of a shepherd. And when somebody was hurting, he was moved with compassion. And the Bible says that he would touch them and heal them. Another was to build up or to edify for the common good. That, you know, we see that in when Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit that the gifts of the Spirit were to build up or to edify the church, okay? So while I understand and I, I would even agree and say, yes, signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Spirit authenticate, I certainly it, it would help authenticate uh, somebody's ministry, the Bible gives us more understanding as to exactly why those signs and wonders take place. And by the way, all of these things are needed today. We need to glorify God today. We need to get out and evangelize today. We need to have the pastoral compassion and love and care for the sheep today. We need the church to be built up today. So, so if you would ask, say, well, why would those things not be available to the church today? If, those, if that was the purpose of them for back then, God, I would believe and think that he would carry them through for us today. Another one that I thought about, because they often would say this, is that Jesus' ministry was marked by miracles, and these were signs to prove that Jesus was who he said he was. Just something to think about. You, you, you might disagree, you might agree. I, just, just something to think about. I think about it this way. Jesus was perfect. He spoke perfect truth. His words were perfect. He spoke perfect doctrine, theology, etc. And if Christ in his perfection was marked or proven by miracles, how much do we need it as well? Okay? Let's let's just be let's just be real honest today. You go out today and you pull out a Christian. Let's just uh, a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Hindu, you can name all the different religions. And you could, in some sense, everybody could pull out their scripture. 
Okay? Christian says the Bible is the Word of God. And trust me, I know there's a, the Word of God is life. There is the power of the Word of God. The Muslim looks at the Quran and says, it's, it's my book. The Buddhist says, it's my book. The Hindu says, it's my book. The other person says, it's my book. You know? And, and, and you kind of say, well, how do you prove it? You know? I, I believe that we need an aspect of the working of the Holy Spirit in the church today. Because people are looking at the church in some sense and saying, prove it. Show me that it's authentic. Show me that it's real. And if, 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 if Christ, if in the perfection of Christ uh, it was marked with miracles and we are the continuation of Christ's ministry, we are the body of Christ, I believe there should be the working of miracles in, in, in our church and in our, in our, in our lives today. Okay? Number, another one. They say that the miracle, I said, or the sign gifts are only mentioned in the early epistles such as 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, that the latter books such as Ephesians and Romans contain passages about the gifts, but no miracles were ever mentioned. Well, first of all, if you actually look at the timeline, 1 Corinthians and Romans were written about the same time. <laughs> okay, so that kind of, there's that problem. Paul wrote over a 15-year period, roughly, about 52 A.D. to 67 A.D., uh, Here's the thing. When you look at the epistles that Paul wrote, he was mainly dealing or addressing doctrinal teachings and corrections. It wasn't really a practical, it wasn't giving really a practical description of what was taking place in the church in the sense of a story. Like, there's not a lot of stories in the epistles. It was more of him addressing practical Theology, doctrines, teachings, problems with theology, corrections in the church. So it's different. The other thing is that if you follow the life of Paul and you get to the end of Acts, when Ephesians was written, right in Acts chapter 8 or chapter 28, what did he do? He shook off the snake, right? <laughs> and then in verses 7 to 8, he was in that area where the chief man of the island named Publius, Publius welcomed him, and it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and placed his hands on him, prayed, and the Bible says he was healed. And then when the, when the, the news got out in the island, what did they do? They brought everybody who was sick, and they, it says that they were all healed. So to kind of turn around and say, I mean, Acts is much more a chronological event of different happenings in the life of the church. But you have, to, you have to take Acts and the epistles and work them together to see that, yes, the, the, the miracles and signs and gifts and wonders that took place were just as evident in the final days of Paul's life as they were in the beginning days of Paul's ministry. Number three, the, gifts, the gift of tongues was assigned to only unbelieving Israel that God's salvation was now available to other nations. That, that we will look at more as we look at the story of Peter and Cornelius. But uh, the, the scripture that they would use is uh, 1, 1 Corinthians 14, 21-22, where it says, With men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to this people, but even when they hear me, or even when they will not hear me, says the Lord, so some tongues are a sign or for a sign not to believers but to unbelievers, but prophesying does not serve unbelievers but believers. Um, problem with that is the Corinthian church was mainly a Gentile church. There were some Jews. Uh, it, was, it was mixed in a sense, but you can see if you were to look in 1 Corinthians 7 and 1 Corinthians 6, you will see that the church was mainly a a uh, Gentile church. And that Paul here is saying, the context is very clear. If you were to read verses 23 to 25, um, well, let me just read it for you. Therefore, if the whole church assembles in one place and all speak with tongues 
and those who are unlearned or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy and there comes in one who does not believe or one unlearned, he is convinced by all and judged by all. Thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. This has nothing to do with whether the person is a Jew or a Gentile. It has everything to do with whether the person is a believer or not a believer, regardless of where they come from and so forth. So to use this scripture in that sort of context is, 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 is actually very much incorrect. Uh, yes, in the, in the story of Paul or Peter, in Acts chapter 10, I believe it was, when, the, when you know, he went to the house and he preached and the Holy Spirit fell and he went back to the, to the leadership of the, of, the, of the church at that time and said, hey, listen, the Holy Spirit fell upon these Gentiles just like they, it fell upon us. Uh, you could say that, yes, at that moment in time, it was given proof, but not here. This is, this is completely different. Completely different. Um, another thing that they say is that tongues were inferior to prophecy, and they, those in the, those who look at the idea of cessationism, they basically declare that when the Bible's talking about prophecy, it's talking about preaching. That preaching the word is what prophecy is about. That's what the Bible means. Well, it, it, and it does. It does. Yes. Yeah, no, and, and you know, in, in some ways, I do, I, believe, I do agree and do believe that as you preach, you are declaring the word of the Lord. So in some ways, you are prophesying. But the context of, of some scriptures cannot be said to be preaching. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 to 3 says, Follow after love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in an unknown tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him, although in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who sp prophesies speaks to men for their edification and exhortation and comfort. If you were to look and read through chapters 12 to 14 of 1 Corinthians, you will know that Paul is not just talking about preaching, that, that he's talking about the revelation the, the revelation gift of prophecy, and that um, those are still taking place. Some of those who believe in cessationism basically think that the prophecy or the word of knowledge or the word of wisdom undermined the scriptures. The problem is the argument is a, based on a false idea that we who believe in these things or practice these gifts think that you know, our prophetic word equals the authority of the biblical text, and that's not true. The Bible is the final authority, okay? So when somebody comes up and gives a prophetic word, it should always be judged against Scripture. And if it disagrees with Scripture, you throw out the prophetic word, right? If you disagree, if the word of knowledge disagrees with Scripture, you throw out the word of knowledge. One of the things that, you know, we know about Scripture, and I, I have a, actually have a scriptural example to, 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 to explain this. Hear me out. Hear me out before you, you hear what... The Bi but, but this is it. The Bible never claims to supply us with all the possible information necessary to make every conceivable decision. Okay, all right. This, that's why we need the Spirit of God. We need word of wisdom. We, we, we need word of knowledge. We need prophecy today because the Bible gives us a lot of principles, gives us all the principles that we need, okay? But, for example, the Bible doesn't say, Chad, come and preach it. Come and be the pastor at Cornerstone. Okay? doesn't say that anywhere. There's an interesting scripture that we see this working even in the life of Paul. 
Acts chapter 27, you'll know the story. Remember, Paul gets on a boat. Verses 9 and 10, Paul speaking to the people in charge of the boat. Men, I perceive that this voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also of our lives. What's going on in Paul? The Spirit of God is revealing to Paul what's coming. Okay? The Spirit of God's telling Paul, this is what's coming. Okay? We know what happens, right? They get into storm, etc. If you go down to verses 21, it says there, after they had long abstained from food, Paul stood in their midst and said, Men, you should have listened to me and and not have set sail from Crete, incurring this loss and injury. But now I advise you to take courage, for there shall be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and look, God has given you all those who sail with you. Therefore, men, take courage, for I believe God that it is, will be exactly as it was told me. Nevertheless, we must be shipwrecked on a certain island. Listen. Nowhere was that found in Scripture, if you want to say. But Paul in the midst of going through what he was going through, the Spirit of God, through an angel, ministered to him what he needed at that time at his, in his life. And it's the same thing for us today. The Spirit of God can minister specific things to our life that at times, you know, and I hate saying it this way because sometimes people would misunderstand it, but at times you aren't, you aren't, you're not going to find it in the Word of God because the Bible doesn't speak about every exact situation. I remember something. I'll explain it this way. I remember I was praying. I was doing a prayer line for people. And most of the time when I do a prayer line, I'll come up to the person and whisper in their ear, you know, what do you want me to pray for? And they'll tell me. There was this girl who I, I knew, and, and as I was moving towards her, I didn't, I didn't ask her. I just went to her and started praying for her, and it was, it was about depression. And I, 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 I said it out loud. I said, I'm going to pray about depression. Immediately she folded. Immediately she folded. And, and we talked afterwards, and, and I, I, she came to me and said, you know, it, she was a little bit like my wife, but in a different sense. She goes, I had determined in my heart that if you were going to ask me what I needed prayer about, I was not going to tell you, because God knew what I was dealing with, and she said, I told God, in, in a sense, she was like, I'm, God, do you care about me? And she said, the moment that you said depression, she says, I knew God had spoken to you because that was the exact thing that I wanted prayer about. And because God had spoken it to you, I knew that God cared. Now, you know, it's just like, okay. Um, and so there's these things where the Spirit of God works in our lives to speak to us about different things that are coming. You know, of course, those things are going to line up, in a sense, to the principles of Scripture. Okay, you know, you know they're going to line up with the, the, you know, the the importance of Scripture or the the principles of Scripture. But the Spirit of God speaks and needs to speak today because people are looking for direction, people are looking for wisdom, people are looking for understanding of what to do in certain situations. All right, number, the last two, very quickly. History indicates that tongues ceased. Well, no, that's not true. Um, we, practice, we, we, we practice it here, and I, I know that it's real. Um, so that, that, is, that is not true. Songs, tongues did not cease uh, with the apostolic fathers. Number six, last one, they talked about missionaries not need, not, not that missionaries could travel to the, any country and speak any language fluently if tongues had not ceased. Uh, just because the apostles in Acts chapter 2 were able to speak different languages. Um, 
and that that should be happening today. Interesting. I know of a man. He works with a missions organization. He speaks upwards of 16 or 17 languages fluently. And you know how he spoke them? God gave them to him. God get, Literally, he talked about, I, I heard his story one time. He was talking about he needed to go into a place and learn or speak Italian. Suddenly, he could speak Italian. And he speaks 16, 17 different languages. And, he can, and it's not like he speaks, well, you know, all the related languages. He's, he can speak, like, you know, French, but he can also speak um, Hindi, yeah. Yeah, like he speaks, like he speaks languages of different parts of the world, and it's incredible because you even hear in his, you can even hear the tone and the accent change and shift. And he says it's a gift from God that God's given him. God just equipped him that way, and, and, and so forth. And the miracle of healing, the miracle of healing. They say that those things have come to a close. Well, that's not true. I've seen. A woman healed of, of cancer, uh, and uh, I even think thinking about this today with Alicia. Many of you don't know, but several years back, several years back, when Alicia was well, probably ten years ago at least, when Alicia had a problem with her legs, and her legs were, uh, her back was out, her legs were different. Uh, different lengths and, and everything. In fact, if you saw Alicia stand with shorts or a skirt on, you would see one knee here and one knee here. Like it was different. And it bothered her one day. It was bothering her tremendously. And I said to her, I said, well, let's pray. And uh, we prayed. And she felt everything shift in her body. And when she stood up again, her knees were at the same, same place. And uh, this tells you how much, it was obviously her faith, not mine. This tells you how much I believe. Uh, I checked with her for weeks. <laughs> I was like, where's your knees at? Are this? yeah, everything's good, Dad. Everything's fine. My knees are the same place. They haven't moved. And they're still there today. Um, but, you know, the gift of healing is still a, a, a active today. And uh, I believe we're going to see it even in a greater activity today. So that's kind of the thoughts tonight. I just wanted to outline it so that we have a better understanding and uh, realize that I, I am absolutely convinced that the gifts of the Spirit have not ceased, that miracles have not ceased, that signs and wonders have not ceased. And I know... And I'm not one of those who bases everything on those things because I know that the Bible talks about deceptions that come to those who just follow signs and wonders.